being the 21st, I picked one out of, out of uh, Proverbs 21. Verse 3, the Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. Just like any parent, right? All the parents said, yeah. Listen, if you smile and nod at me, this will go a lot easier for me. I don't know about you. Um, today is the last of a three-part message series where we've been looking at the Christmas story and taking a look at what happens in the moments when an angel shows up. It could be kind of a scary thing. In fact, it's so scary for every one of them. If you have ever looked at the King James versions, you know the first thing that comes out of the, the angel's mind is, fear not, right? Okay, because obviously it's not an everyday occurrence when... The glory of the Lord shines, and you don't know what that's like, and an angel shows up, and something supernatural is going on. The first reaction isn't going to be, hey, how are you? We haven't met before. No, it's going to be like, uh, right? So they're saying, calm down. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. Um, and so we had a, had a look at when an angel appeared to Mary, and we had a look at when an angel appeared to Joseph. Today, I want to talk to you about when the angels showed up and talked to some shepherds. And um, I, I think we're gonna, that's going to take us into some territory that is very, very common. And my first memory of feeling this fear was when I was a little guy. And, and the question is, where do we stand with God? Where do I stand with God? What's going to happen to me after I die? I think it's probably one of the most uh, honest. I mean, if, if, you're in a, in a, if you're honest with yourself in a quiet moment, everybody asks that question of themselves at some point. Maybe over and over and over again. What's going to happen to me? Where, am I, where do I stand with God? And, and growing up as a child, it started for me, you know, probably like you. I was afraid that I wouldn't be good enough for God. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I didn't, know, didn't know the answer to those questions. I had this five-year-old neighbor girl. I've told you about it before. She, her family went to church, and she made a regular, consistent habit of saying to me, <laughs> this is a quote, you're going to the devil. <laughs> and she would say that to me, and she was right. And, you know, it's like I grew up on um, Disney movies. You ever been to a Disney movie? There's a devil in every one of them, Cruella Devil. You got that, right? I mean, I mean, the kids are either orphans, their parents die, or there's a devil. There's something in every Disney movie. And I was raised on those, and I raised my kids on those. And I'm sure, I mean, it's just, we're all raised on, there's, it's there if you look at the movie. You'll start thinking, oh, what's going to happen to me after I die? And, and, and it got worse because I don't know where this came. I don't, think my, I don't know if it was my mother or not, but don't blame her for this. But, but there was this prayer, there was this prayer, this freaky prayer <laughs> that you may have heard. And so the picture is a four- or five-year-old little child down on his knees doing this at the bed. Now I lay me. Now, there's a freaky part coming, right? Down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I mean, and then tuck you in. Nighty-night, sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. And the bed bugs aren't the scary part of that. I mean, do you still check your covers in case there's a spider in there? Do you do that? Oh, come on. I got to check every, every night because... Well, my kids have moved out now, but they would put stuff in there to... to free. Anyway, so... Um, I'm not sure who started that. It might have been your mother. But anyway, so... <laughs> but, but the bed bugs isn't even the scary part. You think that through. I could die tonight. I could die tonight. I could be dead. I might not make it to tomorrow. That's scary. Right? What a free, where's that prayer? I don't know. I don't know where that came from. 
But as a kid, there's a concern. What if I die? Where do I stand with God? Well, I want to read a, a very popular and commonly read part of the Christmas story that might speak to us about your standing with God. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. Put the words up to help you out if you don't have your Bible. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. King James says, fear not. I bring you good news. Now, good news. Our word gospel, you hear people talking about gospel is, is a, it, it actually means good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. And here comes the good news. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. Christ is a translation of the word Messiah. And people hear this, they hear this little phrase, especially at Christmas time, they say, great, good news, a Savior, wonderful. What do I need a Savior from? And what's going to be interesting as we go through the story, what interests me here is especially is who did this angel appear to? I mean... Now, here's, here's kind of what's going on. In their culture, it was really common when you would give birth, when your family would be giving birth, if you had money, you would hire a herald. A herald was a guy that would go out and say, good news, the baby's here, the baby's here. It's a boy. I mean, and if it was a boy, it was a bigger deal to them. If it was a first boy, they made a real fuss because that signified to them in their way of thinking that it was a blessing because the family name is now going to continue on. We got that issue covered. We're in good shape for the family to go on. So they would, they would, have this, they would hire a herald if they had money to go out and, and make this proclamation. And so that's what God's doing here. God is sending a herald. He doesn't hire somebody. He just assigns one of his angels. and or so I don't know how many or who, but I mean, talk about an appearance. And, but what's interesting is, who the angel goes to. I mean, if you are the creator of the universe and you're going to make an announcement, how about the presidents of the countries or the kings? I mean, let's make a splash here. Or maybe, okay, let's, let's be spiritual about it. How about the leaders of faith, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes? How about them? But that's not what God does. Instead, he sends these angels to go talk to some shepherds out in this field somewhere. And what you might not understand about shepherds is they were some of the most disrespected people there. They were actually at the bottom of social order. I mean, they, they, they were, I mean, if a father didn't have enough money to have slaves, if he had slaves, it would be the slaves that would be the shepherds. But if he didn't have enough money and he had sons, his youngest son was tagged with the, with the duty. And if you were the youngest son, you were hoping that mom would give birth to another son so that you could push that off on him. Seriously, because it was not the place to be. It was, it was, they, they were considered the bottom. They were considered uneducated. There was no room for advancement. They were basically considered by the population to be incompetent, dishonest, thieves. They were just always, in fact, even the religious teachings of the day says that you reject them. These people cannot be made right with God. Stay away from them. They're unclean. Don't touch them. Did you know that about shepherds? They taught them that, and there was good reasons, not, not appropriate reasons, but they had a good line of reasoning in their mind. 
These guys, well, I'm going to come back to that, but they, they, they couldn't live up to the religious rules of the day. They just, just, just could, not be do that, could, not, could not do that. So here's these shepherds, bottom of the order, who absolutely had no hope for their future with God. They're always worried about, how do I stand with God? I, I'm rejected by everybody, including the church. Why? And these guys really, really felt distant, distant from God. So why specifically did they feel that distant? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons why shepherds felt distant from God. The first one was that they felt unworthy. And maybe some people in this room might feel, I think it's fairly common that we might feel unworthy. And, and in many ways, these shepherds were the outcasts of Israel. They were, they, they were taught actually, taught within their faith that you're not good enough for religion. You're, not, you're just not good enough for God. And the reason, the, the reason is that they were nomads. These guys were warriors. They, they were, their job took them on the road. They were like maybe like today's truckers. They would be gone for more than 10 days. They could be gone for weeks at a time or months at a time on the road. And so um, they were declared because they could not go to the temple as the faith said they needed to. They were declared ceremonially unclean, which was a big deal. They were just, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not right with God then, and they can't perform their religious duties because their job, because their livelihood would not let them get to church. Now, I'm not talking about the, that they couldn't get there because there was a Seahawks in a morning game, or the kids had a soccer league that happened to be on Sunday mornings, which is just, I'm, I don't get that, but um, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about guys whose livelihood, they could not leave to go. They, those sheep needed coverage, protection, and care 24-7. They couldn't just leave the herd and go to town and go do the, the temple and then back. So these guys were unable to go because of their livelihood. And, and the other thing about them, why they felt so, so unworthy, was you know, they hung out with sheep all the time. Therefore, they picked up the sense of nature, if you know what I mean. I mean, these guys were probably filthy dirty. They didn't have, there was no showers at the truck stops for these guys. They just, they just had these, these uh, they were physically dirty. But even more, even more damaging to their soul was that uh, religious people considered them spiritually dirty. The people of faith of the day looked down their noses at them and considered them, them dirty. And so a religious person wouldn't even touch, physically touch a shepherd or they'd become somehow spiritually unclean. So you can imagine how unworthy these, these poor people felt. Reality is that a lot of people, I think that we can feel that way. You know, we can come to church, and we can put on the church face, and yet down in our soul we think to ourselves, I know what I've done wrong, I know what I should be doing that I'm not doing, and, and I, I, I know about these things about me, <coughs> How could God love somebody like me? How could God love someone who's just got a stinky attitude like me? You know? And then you come to church and you look around at everybody else and you go, wow, you know, these people around here, they look like they've all got it together here, way better than me. And you're thinking, okay, I just wanted to kill my kids on the way to church and it was because I, my arm wasn't long enough that I couldn't grab them in the back seat and say, stop it! And, and you come to church and you think, about yourself, and you look at people around you say, I, I don't measure up. I feel unworthy. They felt unworthy. Second thing was they felt really, really inadequate. Very inadequate. They're uneducated, so they never felt like they measured up. I mean, it's, it's amazing um, how when we compare ourselves to others, it makes us feel inadequate. You know, ladies, 
You go to your friend's house and everything's clean. You could do surgery on the floors. You know, their kids are polite and their hair is brushed and um, they're studying or something, you know, and you're thinking, uh, I, I walk into my house, smells like gym socks and I haven't even seen my floor. I don't even know what kind of floor I got. I can't remember. And, and, um, and we feel inadequate because we've compared. And one of their big religious rules of the day was that you keep the Sabbath. You know, you, you take a day of total rest. And the shepherds could not do that because these poor sheep needed 24-7 protection and care. So they couldn't do what they were supposed to do. They felt like spiritual failures. And sometimes I think we walk around and we look at other people and we compare somebody else and we say, you know, that person seems so close to God. It's like, you know... He's got a scripture verse on the top of his tongue with any circumstance. He, knows the, he names the verses of the Bible. And, and um, you know, where's that come from? The prayers are powerful. And, you know, the last time I prayed, it was, God, keep me from squeezing my neck on my little kid, you know, back seat. I mean, you know, or, or Lord, make the transmission drop out of that car who just took my parking spot at the mall right by the front door. I mean, I mean we feel unspiritual. We feel ungodly and we feel inadequate when you compare. And they felt this way. These guys felt unworthy and they felt inadequate. And the third challenge that these shepherds toted with them was that they felt very unloved. They felt very unloved. Most all of these guys actually were thieves. An awful lot of them were thieves in their culture at the time. And the ones that weren't thieves were believed to be thieves by culture. So they just weren't trusted. You know, people wanted to stay a long ways from these guys. Uh, under, their, under their culture, a shepherd was not allowed to give testimony in court because it was assumed it would be a tissue of lies. Could not hold any office, a judge of any sort, because they were considered dishonest, not to be trusted. No father would bless the idea that his daughter would marry a shepherd. So these guys had little hope that they could hook up and have a family and, and uh, maybe climb out of that hole. They felt filthy, uneducated, no hope for a better future. These guys felt incredibly unloved. And I think that's not too far away from what some people maybe in this room are feeling today. You've had experiences that have just caused you to conclude, this person didn't love me and it made a big deal in your life. Maybe... You know, your dad left you when you were a kid and you're wondering, what's wrong with me? Why didn't he say? What did I do that was so bad that made him so he couldn't love me? And you're feeling loved. Or, or maybe you look in the mirror and you don't like the person looking back at you. You don't even love yourself. And you say, hey, if they don't love me and I don't love me, how could God, why would God even think about loving me. The thing is that so often there's a huge difference between perception and reality. You know? I mean, right here, you know, sitting, <laughs> sitting here, standing here, at this moment in this room, you, you could f- look around, kind of don't get caught, look around at the people around you and start thinking, you know, I I think this guy over here has got it all together or she's got it all together and 
he's more successful than I am, and they've got a good family, and their little kid stands up and does the, does the, you know, and they know the verses, and and uh, I'm kind of a mess, and so we start doing this comparison, and and you really, you really, and I really don't have any idea about sometimes the pain that's sitting in the seat next to us, or in front of us, or behind us. There could be somebody just a few seats away from you, a, a single mom who's saying, you know. I am doing everything I can and I feel like I'm going backwards and I just, I'm at the edge. I just want to give up. If my kids weren't here, I would. I can't keep this together. Or somebody's maybe sitting two rows in front of you and they were worshiping and you could see it on the outside and, and you're thinking, oh, they've, this person's walking great with the Lord, but you don't know that their finances are unraveling around their ears and they're concerned because they're not going to have Christmas at their house the way they want to and their kids are going to go to school and the first question after the winter break that another child is going to ask their kids is what did you get for Christmas and your kids you know are going to they're going to want to lie because they didn't get what they thought would hope or hope for and and or maybe maybe you're um, sitting and looking around and you're thinking you know this couple's married and getting married and this couple's getting married and I'm not getting married and what's wrong with me? And you could be looking also at somebody who you know is incredibly successful in life. There's, there's success, they've got the trappings of it, their house, the car, the, all of the things that are going on, but down in their soul you don't know there is something that's breaking their heart. Unworthy, inadequate, unloved, these, these things were where, where these guys lived, and I think it's where we live a lot. And here, here's the thing, the bottom line for all this. Religion did not work for these shepherds. It made them even feel more distant from God. Religion didn't work for the shepherds, and it won't work for you and me. It just won't. Now, you might say, hey, hey hold up there. Aren't you a pastor? What? What's the deal? You're leading the church and you're telling us. <laughs> and I, I'm saying, yeah, you heard me right. God did not send his son Jesus to bring religion into the world. But in so many ways, he sent his son to free us from religion and to give us something so much better. The problem the problems with religion is that religion reduces Christianity down to a set of rules. Do's and don'ts. If I do the right thing, I feel better about myself. If I don't do the wrong thing, I feel better about myself. I must be good because I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls who do, (laughs) since Lisa gave all that up. (laughs) I hope there are no divorce lawyers attending this church because... You're such a good sport. 39 plus years, and I don't know why, but I love you like crazy. Not, I mean, I don't know why you stick to me. I want to thank you for giving up the chew, especially, honey, because it was... <laughs> and if I do all of these things, I feel good about myself, and somehow it empowers me to look down my nose at people who don't. Because I'm holier than them. I'm more religious than them. And I obey more rules than you do. And 
That's what religion does. And Jesus looks at that kind of behavior and, pardon my French, but he wanted to toss his cookies. He did not like that at all. And he challenged the Pharisees and he said, you know, you, you guys, have, you're so focused on the outside, you're all polished up, but inside you are filthy. You're missing the point. Religion didn't work for these shepherds and it's not going to work for you and for me. It's just not. Because Christianity was never, ever meant by God to be a religion. It was meant to be a relationship with him, a friendship, something different. That's why God sent a person and not a program. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, in person. Because he wanted relationship. Go make relationship. So yeah, this is good news. And what does that mean to me? What does that, how does that apply in my life? I mean, I, mean, I want to show you in a few of what I think are the very clearest verses in the whole Bible about this topic, written by a guy who we call the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was a guy who, before he became a Christian, he hated Christians. He literally killed them. You know, there are people in our world today who hate Christians and want to kill them and go about doing that. It's going on today. There are people, I mean, and there are people who would do that in our culture, in the United States of America, if they didn't have enough restraint. It's common. So it sounds like, oh, that was pretty wild back then. No, same thing going on today. There will always be people who want to hate and to kill Christians. There's a spiritual war. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rules, powers in high places. But that's a rabbit trail I'm not going to go down today. So he was this guy who, who, who hated Christians, and then he had an encounter. A relationship started. He moved from religion to relationship, a real relationship with the real creator of the heavens and the earth who really loves us. He changed and something happened, and he became um, one of the greatest representatives of Christ, I think, ever. But So he's transformed anyway. So this, this little passage of Scripture will help, and this is found in Romans chapter 3, um, and it's good news. Verse 20, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, because the law simply shows us how sinful we are. <laughs> But what has God done to help us with that? Verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Here comes the good news. Without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Do you realize this is a rabbit trail? I'm just going to put one toe off over there and say, did you realize that the Old Testament, the giving of the law, actually says you're not going to be able to make it? You can do some research on that. But it's in there. It says, here's all the laws. Good luck, you won't make it. So what does that mean? Verse 22. We are made right with God, not by observing the law, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And catch this last sentence. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Wow, I love that passage. It's so clear. Let's break it down as simple as one, two, three, and, and, um, and, and we're pretty much going to be done. So, if you're taking notes, what's the good news? One, the good news is you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You cannot be good enough for God by trying to obey all the laws. You know, and that was really, really good news for these poor shepherds, right? 
They, you know, they lived in a society where, where the Pharisees, the priests taught there wasn't 10, there was 613 laws. Keep them all. First, learn them all, but keep them all. I mean, I mean for Christians, we're, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments, and then Jesus comes along, and he basically makes it even more simple for us. He says, I'll just give you two. Love God and love people. I mean, to keep it simple. But they had 613, no hope of being able to do that. So, the, so part of the good news is, is you, you can't do it even if you tried. It's good to try. You'll be better for it, but you won't be able to make it. Verse 20 goes on and says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So why do we have the law? Why do we have the law? What's it even there for? It's to keep you from going 80 in a 60 zone. Uh, but you cannot observe, you, know, you, 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 cannot, you can't earn God's acceptance by observing the law. So what's the purpose? Number two, the purpose of the law is to show you your need for a savior. Look at that, that it's, it, again in verse 20, it's pretty clear there. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands because the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Think about it. What does the law do? It just shows us our need for a savior. This is one of the most important things that probably we'll talk about today because in our culture, one of the most fundamental flaws in common thinking is people believe that they're actually good. We do. We want to believe it, so we adopt that philosophy about ourselves, and it's really, really common. You know, if I was to ask how many of you people think you're a good person, unless you have the, you know, unless it's a theology test, you know, most people say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I'm basically a good person. I know some bad people. I don't do the stuff they do. I'm better than them, so I'm good. I'm pretty good. And that's okay if the comparison is us versus somebody else that's more evil than us. It'd be a great deal if you could always live life on that curve. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about comparing ourselves to people. Our comparison is to God's expectations, to God's standards. And when we use that as our scale, every one of us fails. Scripture tells that, but it's true. You know it's to be true about yourself. Everybody does. And just because it's the Christmas season... I want to help all of you feel really good about how bad you really are, okay? So I'm going to take, just take a minute here and make my case, and I don't mean to embarrass anything, um, but I'm going to help you. Um, so please play along just for a minute or two. I won't try to embarrass you. How many of you have ever in your entire life told a lie? Okay, so, so like, okay, boy, the hands went down fast. So, um, but if you didn't put your hand up and you notice somebody next to you, you have my permission to turn them and say, you're a liar, pants on fire, or whatever, okay? <laughs> So um, everybody, oh, come on. I mean, everybody has done that at some point. How many of you have ever stolen something, taken something that wasn't yours? Mom left cupcakes out, said don't eat before dinner. You did it anyway. Okay. And how many of you, um, now the next one I want to be careful about because I don't want to create any marital problems. So you don't have to raise your hand, but you should at least like move six molecules in your pinky. How many of you have ever looked lustfully at somebody? Oh, come on, the fingers are wiggling all over this room. Okay, so if you've told a lie, you're a liar. If you've stolen something, you're a thief. And Jesus said that if you so much as lust for someone in your heart, you're an adulterer. So if you've lusted for someone, you're an adulterer. So basically, this is a church full of lying, thieving adulterers. Don't you feel good about yourselves? Merry Christmas. (laughs) Thank you for coming to Crossroads Church.
And you're going, okay, great, funny, Terry. Why are you doing this? Um, this is important. This is an important point. Until you see yourselves as a sinner, you will never see your need for a savior. And when you recognize that you're not good compared to what God is, then you recognize, oh, I need some grace here. I do need a savior. Because religion cannot save you. I'm a sinner. Religion's not going to work for me. I, I, I've never seen it work for anybody anywhere. Now, my result is I need to be looking for relationship through a savior, through a person. And 2,000 years ago, a person was born. The good news. Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but a relationship with a loving God who sent his son to, to just show us how good he is. So, so what's the good news? The good news is you can't be good enough for God by observing the law. The purpose of the law is to show us, to show us our need for a savior. So how are we made right with God? Number three, the good news teaches us that righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus giving money. It's not Christ plus doing good works. It's Christ alone. Plus nothing. It's putting our faith in relationship in Christ alone. Verse 22 says, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. And this angel appears to these shepherds. These people who religion had rejected and said, fear not, for today in the city of David, a savior is born. How are you made right with God? By faith in Christ alone. And that's the power of the good news. The question is, are you able to be good enough for God on your own? Of course not. We've figured that out. But because the Son of God died for you on a cross and paid the price of debt, God the Father no longer sees your sin. Religion didn't work for the shepherds, but relationship did. Religion is all about us. It's all about our efforts to please God. Relationship is all about God's work to satisfy our debt through his son Jesus. Religion is about what we do, what we don't do, Relationships about what God did and about his perfect work. Religion says, I have to work. I got to do these things. I got to be this thing. And I try and I strive and I never quite get there. Relationship says, I'm accepted by God. The shepherds felt so unworthy, so inadequate, and even unloved. But fear not, for, for today, in the town of David, the Savior is born to you. So no matter how bad you've been or how messed up you think you are or how alone you feel, I want to read that verse to you one more time. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. And that's good news. No matter who you are. His name is Christ and he is Lord. I want to pray, but I want to talk to you for a second before I pray. If you wonder or fear, where do I stand with God? 
I'm going to tell you, you now have the answer to stop fearing that issue. Scripture says that all who call on the name of Jesus, Savior, all who call on the name of Jesus the Savior will be saved. It's as simple as that. You don't have to join the church, and I'm not asking you for your money. I'm asking you to consider your eternity and say, I'd like to get this right with God. God is supernatural. If you, even in this humble building, in the privacy, in your chair, say, in your private prayer, God, I want to have a relationship with you. I know I need a Savior. Would you be my Savior? He will hear you. He's a supernatural God. He hears the, he hears the things that you think. He hears the things that you say. He sees. And if you say that to him, he will respond to you. So we're going to all pray. We're going to have our eyes closed. And I just encourage you, if you've never done that before, to do it right now. To settle forever your eternity. And the Lord will meet you there and minister to you right where you are because he loves you right where you are. Let's close our eyes. Lord, I am so grateful for the Christmas story. That yes, the baby Jesus is also the cross Jesus and the risen Jesus and the one who prays for and loves us like crazy. Lord, I pray that people today who may not have relationship with you already but need relationship and are willing would encounter your spirit right this moment. That they would sense, even because their hearts may be going pitter-patter or because they just feel this anxiousness, they would sense your spirit saying, come on, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to be radical with you. I'm not going to turn you into a wacko. I just want to love on you and I want to take care of you forever. But this is like any other gift. You can accept it or reject it. And when the day comes and we stand before our creator, the question isn't going to be, what did you do? It's going to be, what what was your relationship with my son, Jesus? And when the answer comes back, oh, my Savior, you'll be, you'll be told, enter into my rest. God, I pray that right in this moment that souls are being saved, that, Lord, that you would be finding, finding that place in hearts that would respond to your, your call. Please keep your eyes closed, church. But I just want to say to anyone here who is opening your heart to the Lord, it's really good just to let somebody know. You don't have to make a fuss over it, but I just want to just agree with you about this and I'm not going to embarrass you. If you're opening your heart, would you just kind of look at me and give me a little hand wave so I can just agree with you in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. Good job. Your forever is sealed. I see that hand. God, praise the name of the King. Praise the name of the King. Okay. Lord, I want to thank you for what the, the miracle that you've done in hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen.